right. If you have your Bibles, grab them. Daniel chapter 10 is where we're at in our series through the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. We are closing in on the, on the end. We've only got 10, 11, and 12 left, three chapters left. So um, we are excited this morning uh, for family worship and kids. We're excited to have you in the room with us. Yeah, I, don't, I, was gonna, I don't know what to make you say. I was like, who day? I don't know. Amen, something. You know, as we think about having this family worship Sunday, we have it for many reasons, but the church in America, I think, too often um, has become this place where when the adults come in, we rush to put our kids away, put the children away so that we can relax and have adult time and worship and do the things that we want to do without the distractions of wiggly kids. But I think instead, when we look at a congregation, we should see the full spectrum of what makes up a church. That is, we should see those who are in the final season of their life, and we should see those who are in the first seasons of their life. We need to be a church that welcomes the wiggling. And the squirming of those little feet that can't yet touch the floor. We need to welcome those children in here and all that they bring. Because we believe if the word of God is powerful enough to reach them. To reach their little ears and their little hearts. Even in ways that they nor we recognize quite yet. You see, they might think and reason and listen as children, but the Word of God can reach where we cannot even go. And so we encourage you to have your children in here as soon as possible. We have children's programming up through third grade, but if you think your kid is ready, please bring them on in here with you. Um, And we are never going to have programming that goes higher than that because we think it's important for them to be here. And so going forward, every fifth Sunday, we will have this family worship Sunday so that our kids can come in here to sing with us, to listen, uh, to color, to hear the preaching of God's word, uh, to form that habit, and to observe you, to watch you as you sing, to watch you as you listen attently. Tently? Is that a word? Attunely? Intently. As you take notes, as you worship, because they will be marked for the rest of their lives and formed by the habits they make by being in here and watching you and worshiping and growing. On Family Sundays, it will be my great effort to preach shorter, but we always know how those efforts go, but it will be my great effort. Uh, I will at times fail in this task, but it's going to be my, 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 my job. That's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, so, let's jump in. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. Daniel, the prophet in exile, writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he pins the very words of God. And he says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was, a, and, he, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word, and he had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. 
And on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set my trembling in my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in his likeness of the, of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O oh, my Lord, my, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now I no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh, man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except these, except Michael, your prince. This is the word of the Lord. In the past few chapters, Daniel has had visions of the future. And though we do not get the details of the vision he's just had, uh, it, it seems as though it is much like the ones he's already had. Where the future for Daniel and his people is very bleak. It is quite dark. At this point in history... We know that most of the Jews that were in exile with Daniel have actually been released by Cyrus the Persian, and they've been sent back home. But Daniel remains there in the king's service, not, not home, not going home, knowing he will never go home. He's 90 years old about, and he's alone, his people gone. And he knows that the future for his people is a long road full of death and persecution and more exile and uh, all of these things. The temple being uh, wrecked and uh, all these things. Daniel is scared. He's sad. He's depressed. He's anxious. He's at the end of himself. He's worrying. And I think many of us find ourselves sometimes in a similar spot, particularly when we think about the future. 
Maybe some of us have gotten bad news about a loved one's health and a prognosis of what that might look like. Maybe some of us are mourning the loss of a loved one. Maybe a relationship or a friendship has ended and you feel the pain of that. Or maybe you're thinking about a a job or a lost job and and financial security and, and the future is uncertain and you're not sure where to go or what's going to happen. Whatever has or might happen, we all look to the future sometimes and we find ourselves scared and and worried and sometimes feeling helpless. Many of us in this room have fought daily against feelings of depression and feelings of angst or anxiety, feelings of fear about tomorrow. And sometimes we can just worry and worry and worry ourselves to death as we fight it. And sometimes it can even make us angry as our tempers flare and we lash out at people because we don't know what to do because we've lost control. Sometimes we have a boss that makes life miserable on us. Sometimes we have family relationships that make life miserable on us. There are a million examples of the battles that we fight, the emotional toll, the difficulties and the hardships we face. And for many of you, for many of us, it is really at the precise moment in our life, where we say, you know what, I'm going to start taking my faith more seriously. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to join a small group. I'm going to join a D group. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to go serve. I'm going to take the gospel seriously, and I'm going to, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go share it with a friend. I'm going to start living it out. And it's in those moments that actually everything falls apart. It's in those moments where people all of a sudden start getting sick. It's in those moments where all of a sudden you get in a car wreck and now you don't have a car and you can't drive and you can't get there. It's in those moments that all of a sudden your marriage that has always been easy is now full of tension and difficulty. It's in those moments that random things seem to happen to get in the way. Well, why is that? Why is it that as soon as you start to try to follow Jesus and do all the things you want to do to grow, that everything seems to fall apart? We have a word for it. We call it spiritual warfare. First thing I want to point out is that spiritual warfare is not the exception, it's the norm. Spiritual warfare is not the exception, it's the norm. You say, Brent, why are we talking about spiritual warfare? Well, in this chapter, you might have missed it, but it it talks about it. It, There's this fascinating section around verse 13 where he talks about Michael, and he calls him a prince. But we know Michael, we know Michael is an angel, the archangel Michael. We know about him from other books of the Bible and in Revelation. And this mysterious figure... Michael, this mysterious figure, show up, and he, and he says that they've, they've, they were delayed coming to Daniel because the prince of Persia withstood them for 20-some days. But he's not talking about the actual physical king or prince of Persia. He's talking about, a, like, like he talks about Michael as a prince, he's talking about some other uh, angelic or demonic force. And so there's this spiritual battle being had from Michael and this other figure that we're going to talk about against the, these nations that are oppressing and fighting the, the people of God and trying to stop the works of God. And so there's this thing happening, and this figure tells Daniel, we were delayed because we've been fighting and, and being withheld by these other powers. Do you remember the movie Men in Black? Um, Men in Black, Will Smith is recruited into the secret agency, the Men in Black, this organization that has secret knowledge that aliens are living amongst us, right? And, and once they come in and know, then, then you see there are aliens everywhere, right? Everywhere around us. They're disguised as humans and disguised as little pugs, little dogs, and all other kinds of creatures. There's aliens everywhere. 
And the men in black police them, and they live amongst them. They help them get from point A to point B. And they say, you know, Elvis is still alive. He just went home to another planet. The people that work at the, the, at the men in black know this, but everyone else lives in ignorance and doesn't see that all around them aliens exist. Now, we don't believe that that be, is the case. We don't believe that aliens are all around us, but the movie does point out a greater truth. For, that, for those who have the knowledge, for those who have eyes to see, for those who could have spiritual eyes, if you had special glasses, you would see the world and you would see spiritual battles being waged all around you in this room at this very moment. Spiritual battles are being waged all around us in a realm that we do not have eyes to see. We live in such a modern time in the history of the world, and the, the rise of technology and the rise of science has made us forget that we do not have a grasp and fully understand this world because there are things at play that we don't understand, see, or know. But they're all around us. And they're not just up off in heaven. They're right here in this room, and they're with you every day. Why does this matter? The New Testament says it this way. Ephesians 6, verse 12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do not wrestle just against physical things in this world. Of course we wrestle against physical things, but not only. There is spiritual significance behind most or all of the mundane, everyday, normal problems we face. The enemies of God do not want you to grow closer to him. The enemies of God do not want you to be used by him. They do not want you to have the joy that he is offering and give. Instead, they want you to have a miserable, ineffective life. And so whatever they can do, whatever they can put in front of you, whatever they can do to you, they will. C.S. Lewis brings this out beautifully in the screw tape letters. Uh, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to go do so. Where it's a story about a demon who's writing to another demon to tell him how to tempt this, this human. And Lewis points out how so many of the mundane, normal, everyday things in life are actually demonic forces trying to allure us away from the things of God. He even gives an example about, uh, about some guy who is hungry and his belly begins to growl. And so he puts off a conversation about spiritual things, thinking he'll come back to it later, but he never does. And he, use, he even uses our hunger to distract us. Well, around here, we talk about how it is our job and our task as a church that we want to make Jesus essential in every sphere, every area of our life. And by that, we mean we want to make Jesus absolutely necessary in our marriage, in our parenting, in our finances, in our hobbies, at our work, and beyond. In every sphere, we want to make him essential. Well, if that is true, then on every front that you fight... To make Jesus essential in that area, you better believe there will be an opposing force trying to stop you. There will be an opposing force trying to stop you. And sometimes we write it off as a coincidence. We write it off as inconvenient. We write it off as disconnected or we don't think about it at all. We think, oh, it's just life. Things happen. But spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. And our problems are often way more spiritual than we realize they are. Spiritual problems require spiritual solutions, and our problems are often way more spiritual than we realize that they are. So what do we do? Well, let's learn from Daniel. 
Daniel is in a spiritual crisis. He's discouraged. He's down. He's at a loss. He's fasting. doesn't know what to do. Our first response on hard days should be to seek God. Our first response on hard days should be to seek God. At the beginning of our passage, Daniel's immediate response after he has this discouraging news about the future is to seek God. He fasts, right? He doesn't eat. He, he prays. He's lamenting. He's crying out to God for help, for an answer, for peace, for his weary soul. Yeah, so often for us, uh, uh, seeking God is a last-ditch effort. Seeking God is what we do when there, we, there's nothing else in our power to do. It is the reason that a few weeks ago when that young man collapsed on the football field, they prayed on ESPN because the richest, most powerful men in the world had nothing else they could do. And so they prayed. So prayer and seeking God for us is often a last-ditch effort, but it shouldn't be. We should seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. We should take every thought captive, the New Testament says. That we should be seeking God daily over every trial, every little problem, every little moment of discouragement, everything we should bring to him. And that's why the Bible says that we should pray without ceasing. Are there times that we go away and quiet and pray and reflect? Absolutely. But while you're working, you should be praying, communing with God all the time. Bringing everything to him, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, the mundane, the special. And as we want to hear back from him, after we're talking with him, pointing out our thoughts to him, we want to hear back from him, how does that happen? How do, we, how do we, after we seek God, how do we hear from him? Well, certainly God can press things upon us. Certainly God can, by the Spirit, press things and pull us in a direction. Certainly he can give us a sense of his leading. But the primary place we seek God and hear from him is in his word. He's literally written a book to us. And so often it is on a shelf and it is dusty. And we say, God, speak to me. And he's like, I did. You remember the old quote about a torn up Bible? The one that says that someone whose Bible is falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life isn't. That's because when you seek God, you find him. And when you seek God, he comes and he helps. It doesn't mean that bad things stop happening, but it does mean that he gives you the strength to endure, which is what happens for Daniel. So first, Daniel seeks God, but then what happens? Well, Daniel shows, or God shows up. Daniel seeks God, and God shows up. See, when we seek God, we will find him exactly the way we needed him to be. When we seek God, we will find him, and we will find him exactly the way we needed him to be. Notice verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words was like the sound of a multitude. Who is this? Who is this guy, this, this angelic figure that has shown up? Is this Michael? No. Is this Gabriel again? No. Is this some other angel? No. This description matches the description later written in, by John in the book of Revelation chapter 1. This figure shows up. The answer of Daniel's prayers, this figure is no other than Jesus himself. This is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. It is Jesus 500 years before he would be born in Bethlehem. It is what we call a pre-incarnate Christ or a Christophany, an appearance of Christ. And when Jesus shows up, 
The other people with Daniel, what do they do? They can't see anything that's going on, but they feel it. And they're terrified. And they run away and hide themselves. And Daniel, Daniel, he sees it and he feels it. And when he sees Jesus in all of his glory, when he sees him and when he feels him, what happens? He is terrified and it says that he collapses to the ground and he's knocked unconscious. He falls asleep. He, Jesus knocks him out just by showing up. Jesus just appears and the reaction is fear and terror and his presence knocks Daniel unconscious. You know, sometimes we ask for God. We seek God and we ask for him. But sometimes we want to be real specific, right? Hey, God, I need you to act. I need you to do this. I want, but I want you to do it this way. God, I want you to do this thing. And we might be desperate. We might be afraid of the future. We might be worried. We might cry out to God. But we still want a little bit of control. God, we need your help. But we still want to kind of tell him how to do it. We cry out, but we want control still. And so we want God to show up on our terms. But God never shows up on our terms. God doesn't show up on our terms, and we should be thankful that he doesn't. Instead, he shows up exactly the way we need him to be in that moment. What did Daniel need? Well, Daniel has seen the future. And he has seen that his people are going to be persecuted, going to be taken over by other nations. They're going to be slaughtered. The temple's going to be desecrated. But then he sees one vision about some guy coming on a cloud to fix it all. But when you see all this bad, which is a little bit of good, it's easy to wonder, man, can God really stop all this that's coming? Can God really redeem his people? Can God really keep all the promises that he's made to us over all of these years? Is he really able to keep them all? And so in the midst of this spiritual crisis for Daniel, he needed to see the strength and power of God. He needed to see that God was indeed almighty. Daniel had seen angels. That's nothing new. Daniel had seen miracles. That was nothing new. He'd seen his friends go into a fiery furnace and not get burnt. He'd seen himself eat vegetables and still grow big and strong. He'd seen himself thrown into the lion's den and the lions go to sleep. Daniel had seen miracles, but he ain't seen anything like this yet. And so as he is wondering, can God keep his promises and redeem his people? Jesus shows up. And do you know what his answer is quite quickly? This guy can. This guy can do anything he wants to do. He is the son of the living God. His presence alone is all convincing, all the convincing Daniel needed. This God, this Jesus whom he does not yet know by name. He knows he could do all that he said he could. When we seek God, he doesn't show up according to our plans. He shows up being exactly what we need in that moment. He doesn't show up according to what we think we need. He shows up to give us what he knows we need. Like a parent who knows when their child needs to see them be strong or knows that they need to see their parents defend them. Or like a parent who knows that it is in this moment their child needs to be disciplined. Or they need greater understanding. Or they need a gentle, kind touch. Like a parent, God knows. He knows what we need. And when we seek him, we don't get to demand how he shows up. But we know he will be exactly what we need. Jesus doesn't just come to display his power. He comes to lift Daniel from his humble estate. Number four. God's kindness gives us the strength to be weak, but his kindness also gives us the weakness 
trust. I want you to understand this. Guys, this kindness gives us the strength we need to be weak. And it gives us the weakness to trust. You see, the problem with our worry, the problem with our fear, is we cannot control what's happening to us. We do not control the future. The problem is we think that if we could gain some more control, if we could gain more control over the situation, then my anxiety, my fear, my worry would go away. But all control does is temporarily mask those realities that are deep in our heart. You see, true healing, true rest, true encouragement, true joy, true deep breaths lies not in the strength of control, but in owning our weakness and trusting our circumstances to the one who's actually in control. Notice that Daniel is incapacitated on the ground. He's knocked out. He's knocked unconscious by the sheer power and holiness of God. And what does Jesus do? Check out verse 10. And Jesus, his first words to this man who's been knocked out, he says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. O Daniel, man greatly loved. Jesus wakes him up. Places his hand on him, calms him down, gets him up to his knees. And Daniel then hears the words that begin to ease his heart. Daniel, I love you. This powerful, radiant being that's shown up in front of him, that everyone else is hiding from, that's knocked him unconscious, bends down and says, you are greatly loved. And then here in a moment, Daniel then is able to stand up and to stop trembling And he says, fear not. Don't be afraid of me. I love you. You see, the assurance of God's care for us in the midst of our distress is meant to renew our strength. It's meant to get us to our feet. It's meant to lift our heads so that we can face and endure whatever comes next. Sometimes in our lives, the glory of God and the holiness of God, when God shows up, we so acutely feel how unworthy we are. If you've ever felt the presence of God, you know. It, what does it make you feel? It makes you feel the same way Daniel does and Isaiah does. I'm unworthy. Who am I to be here? Gosh, I'm so sinful. How could God ever love me? How could God ever be near me? How could he even look at me? How is God going to help me out of this mess? He probably wants me to be in this mess, he thinks. But when the glory of God is so great that it might obscure When the glory and holiness of God is so great and we feel unworthy that it might obscure the love of God he has for us, he always assures us that we don't need to fear him. He says, don't be afraid. The circumstance in which Jesus shows up in our lives might be overwhelming, but he certainly certainly deserves our awe, certainly deserves our our, our worship and our, our just awe of him. But he comes to overcome our fears with the promise of his care. You see this played out so well in uh, one of the Narnia books. Not the, not the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but the book called The Silver Chair. There's this great scene at the beginning of the book where Jill Pole is, she's never been to Narnia, but uh, she's getting bullied at school and she's running away from these people and all of a sudden she's teleported into Narnia. And she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know anything about Narnia. She doesn't know anything about Aslan, but she's teleported here and, and, and all of a sudden she's, she's dying of thirst. But there's a river right in front of her. And so she goes to approach the river to to get a drink. And she notices there's a big lion next to the river. And so she freezes. And it says that she felt like she stood there for hours, frozen by the fear of this great lion in front of her. 
And as she hears the sound of the water rushing, she grows all the more thirsty, knowing that if she doesn't drink soon, she's going to die of thirst. And Aslan says, are you thirsty? You may drink. And for a second, she doesn't know who speaks. She doesn't know who's talking. And she's like, where did that come from? And he says it again, are you thirsty? And then she realizes the lion's talking. And she says, she says yes, I'm dying of thirst. Then drink, said the lion. Then she says, may I, could I? Would you mind going a little away? Would you mind scooting over, Jill said? The lion answered this only by the look of a low growl, and Jill gazed at his motionless bulk. She realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. He says, uh, will you promise not to do anything to me, she says. Will you promise not to come eat me, she says. And he says, I make no promises. <laughs> Jill was so thirsty now that she's noticing, uh, she, 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 she's so thirsty, and she steps a little bit closer, and she asks, do you eat girls? And he says, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. And she says, I daren't come to drink. Then you will die of thirst, says the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream, she says. There is no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who has seen his stern face could have, could have done that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. It, it, you didn't need to drink much for it to quench your thirst. And see, here Aslan is offering her the only thing that will quench her thirst. But she's afraid because the lion might eat her. What she did not know was who this lion was, that this was Aslan, the good lion, the good lion who is not tame. Daniel, like us, needed to remember that Jesus, that Jesus is not tame. He shows up in power and greatness. And he comes into his greatness and he hits the ground because he's unworthy. Daniel needed to know that he was not a tame God. He was a powerful God, but he also needed to know that he was good. What both the power and gentleness of Jesus does for us is show us that it is safe to stand in his presence. That it is safe to speak in his presence. When Daniel stands up, he's mute. He won't talk. And Jesus puts his fingers to his lips and encourages him to speak. And Daniel, the first words of, out of his mouth are confession. The power and gentleness of Jesus enables Daniel not to ask for things, not to make demands, not to try to gain some control back. When he's invited to speak, he confesses his inadequacy. He confesses his weakness. He says, there's no strength left in me. He says, who are you to even talk to me? And Jesus comforts him and he says, I've heard your prayers. From the moment you started fasting and praying, from the moment you sought me and humbled yourself before your God, I heard your prayers. I've been battling on your behalf against the powers of darkness, and I stopped for a moment to come and to remind you that I am all-powerful and you are greatly loved. Sometimes my wife or my kids might be sad or discouraged or down or there's something wrong, and, you know, you, you, you ask a wife what's wrong, and it takes about 500 times before she tells you, right? 
And so, so you're asking, you're asking, you're trying to figure it out, and you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, you don't know how to fix it. But so, sometimes when you don't know what to do, what do you say? You just hold them and you say, I love you. You just hold them and you say, I love you. And when you sometimes when you say, I love you, it means so much more than I have great affection for you. It means I've got you. It means everything's going to be okay. It means I'm here. It means it's all right. It means a, all, this whole wall of emotions and feelings and things. It means more. And when Jesus tells Daniel, you are greatly loved, he was reminding him, I have heard your prayers. And you have my presence. I'm here. And I'm fighting for you. And so you can rest. You can, be a, you can have great courage. You can relax. Because when we know the power of God and the goodness of God, when we know that he is not tame but good, it frees us up to be weak. It shows us that it's okay that we can be weak. It's okay that we've failed. It's okay that we're not in control. We can let go of our control. It frees us up to fail. It frees us up to open our hands and be honest with God and honest with others and just say, God, I need you because I'm a mess. I surrender to you. I place my life in your hands. His strength and his goodness combined enable us, give us the strength to be weak. And it gives us the weakness we need to finally trust him. You see, when we're strong, it's harder to trust because I want to be in control because I'm strong. When we think we got control, it's harder to trust God because I'm in control and I trust me. But when God grants you the gift of weakness, he grants you the ability to trust him finally. He grants you the ability to trust him and place your life in his hands and don't we know and don't we believe that there is no safer, more secure place to ever be surrendered to than the arms of Christ. When we do that, we will find Jesus hears us. He comes near us and he wields his power for our good and for his glory. Guys, you see, sometimes we need God to show up like a roaring lion in our life. To defend us, to be strong. But other times, we need the comfort of the lamb who was slain. To be gentle and to lift our heads. And sometimes, like Daniel, we need both. God comes to us exactly the way we need him. But his presence always leads us to humility and our own ability to own our weakness. And through, uh, and through surrendering our lives into the arms of Christ, we will find trust and peace and encouragement and rest. Don't you want rest? Don't you want to take a deep breath and relax and stop having the knots in your stomach because you're so worried about what's going to happen at work tomorrow, what's going to happen with that friendship, what's going to happen with that family member, what's going to happen with your finances, what's going to happen tomorrow? I'm stressed out about it. Don't you want to just breathe and rest? The only way to do that is to own your weakness to the God who is all-powerful but also good and trust your life in his hands. When we let go of control, we find more peace and more stability than we've ever had when we've been in control. Trust the God who goes to battle the principalities and powers of darkness. Trust the God who has defeated your ultimate enemy by giving his life on a cross. This Jesus who Daniel knew 500 years before he would be born, 
stops battling Persia to go battle Greece, stops battling Greece to go battle Rome, and then he stops battling to come and battle. He comes as a baby so that he could go battle our greatest enemy. And he doesn't do that with a sword. He doesn't do it in a tank. He doesn't do it on the spiritual plane. He comes to our plane of existence, and he battles our greatest enemy by dying. Isn't that how God works? Everything's the opposite. You want to be strong, you got to be weak. You want to win the fight, you got to lose the fight. And so Jesus goes and he loses the fight. He loses the battle by being killed on a cross. And in losing the battle, actually gains the victory that he needed to give us victory. We can trust our lives to the God who said, I will leave heaven and come to earth and secure victory for you. We can trust the God who is all-powerful and in all control. And the text says, it talks about how he's, let's, hang on, I'm getting ahead of myself. We can draw, finally, and we're going to finish up. We can draw near to God because he's first drawn near to us. So here, here's what's happening. We can draw near to God because he's first drawn near to us. When Jesus shows up, he comes to do battle with the devil he ends his life, and in so doing, great victory. And <laughs> the shackles that were on Daniel's people while they were in exile. The shackles that were on Daniel's people when they were in Egypt in the Exodus. The shackles that would be on his people when uh, 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 other, the Romans would come or the Greeks would come or whoever would come. Those shackles pointed to a greater problem. That we're slaves not just to the Greeks or to the Persians or to the Babylonians. We're slaves to sin. And when Jesus secures that victory on the cross, he breaks the shackles. He defeats our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy wasn't Persia. It wasn't the Greeks. It wasn't the Romans. It was sin. And he defeats the power of sin. He cancels the record of debt that stood against us. He cancels the, 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 the weapons that the devil has against us to, to accuse us of sin and of being guilty. He cancels that. He gets rid of that. So that he can bring us into his family. And so we don't longer have to be slaves to fear, slaves to worry. We don't have to be slaves to anxiety. We don't have to be slaves to depression. We don't have to be slaves to any of these things anymore. We don't have to worry about the future because the power that God has wielded on our behalf to secure victory, we can rest in it. It means that it's okay to not be okay. It means it's okay to be weak and it's okay to fail. And in the midst of our weakness, the only wise course of action is to seek God. And when you seek God, you will find him. And you will find him in that moment exactly the way you need him. And sometimes when you seek God and you find him, you will find yourselves overwhelmed and inadequate by your sin. But his kindness and his grace and his forgiveness frees up our hearts to own it and confess it. And to lay our life gently in the hands of a Savior who is all-powerful but yet is good. That Savior goes and he fights our spiritual battles for us. He has fought a battle on Calvary and he is fighting battles right now. He is fighting battles for you right now. That doesn't mean that the road of our life isn't going to be hard and isn't going to be bumpy. It's not going to be difficult. But it does mean that when you belong to Jesus, victory will ultimately be yours. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your kindness and your goodness and your grace. We're thankful that you fight for us. We're thankful that you, that you fought for us on Calvary, that you fought for us against the principalities and powers of darkness, that you fight for us even today, that you fight for our attention, that you fight for our hearts, that you fight for our freedom.
that you fight for our rest. Jesus, you are a good Savior. Jesus, you are a good and kind God, but you are by no means tame. You can be scary. You can be overwhelming. You can be big. And Father, we're thankful that in spite of all of these things, we know that you're good. So if you're here this morning and you do not know this God that saves, this God that is all mighty and all powerful, but it's good, and you want to know him, then as we sing this song, when we stand up here, you come talk to me and let me show you how he will make you his. And he will hold you in his arms forever. And if you're here this morning and you belong to Jesus, but, but you're here and you think, man, I am so worried. I am so struggling about the future, about this thing or that thing, and I'm, I've got anxiety, I'm, I'm stressed or whatever, and I want to let it go. I want to I wanna be weak so that I can trust. I want to expose my weakness so that I can finally rest in his arms. And you just need a little help with that. You want to pray about that. Let me pray with you. Let me hug, hug your neck and pray with you about that. Sometimes that's the first step we need. To own, to, to, to own, be honest with ourselves. That's the hardest step sometimes. To, to be honest with ourselves that, yeah, I don't got it together. And I'm weak. And I need some help. I need some help confessing to Jesus that I'm weak and to place myself in his arms. Let me be to help you have that first step. God, give us the strength to respond the way we need. Help us to sing to you right now as the worthy king that you are. We love you in Christ. And we pray all people said, let's stand together.